All right. We'll talk more about how you can get involved in the successful Diocesan Services Appeal campaign at the end of Mass. But anytime the shepherd is speaking to his flock, he's asking us to join him on mission to be disciples and to make disciples. And that follows in a long tradition that extends even before the time of Christ. We always extol the virtues of those apostles who left everything in their boat, laid down their nets when Jesus said, come follow me, or Levi, or Matthew, who left their customs post when Jesus said, come follow me. But they were not the first who were willing to follow God when he asked them to join him on a journey. The first is Abraham, and we hear about him today in the first reading, chapter 12 in the book of Genesis. Abraham was 2,000 years before Jesus, and at that time in the many countries and cultures of the world, there really wasn't anyone besides him who believed that there was just one God. Even though our God created everyone, over time, people had come up with mythologies to replace mysteries. Mythologies were man-made explanations of our origin and our destiny. And these countries concocted all kinds of gods to serve all kinds of purposes. A god of the sun and a god of the moon, a god of agriculture, a god of war, a god of fertility. But Abraham, he remained faithful to the one God, even though others saw it as a sign of weakness to believe that there was only one when others had so many. Abraham knew that there was only one God and him alone would he serve, even though he had never seen him. Abraham, at the age of 80, was invited by God today to come on a journey. And without question, comment, or delay, Abraham went out into the desert and took everyone and everything along with him. He didn't ask the Lord, where are we going? He didn't say, will this journey be long or hard? He didn't say, will I ever see my home again? He just went. As the Lord led him from present-day Iraq down to the land flowing with milk and honey, today we call it Israel. This is why Jews, Christians, and Muslims can all rightly refer to Abraham as our father in faith because he sets the standard for doing God's will without needing God to explain himself to us. He owes us no explanations. He owes us nothing. He has given us everything. Abraham's faithfulness would be greatly rewarded. The Lord has made him a promise today. Even though he is not a dad and has never had a child, at the age of 80, he's informed that he's going to become a parent And he trusted that this would be the case because he believes that God keeps his promises. What he didn't know is that he would be 100 before that promise was kept. But that wait for the Lord made him rejoice even more at the great gift that was given to him and through him to Israel as truly Abraham's descendants did become as numerous as the stars in the sky. Abraham set the standard that the apostles follow, that when God asks you to do something, you do it without question, comment, or delay. But this gospel only makes sense today if we understand what happened at the end of the previous chapter. The transfiguration that we just heard proclaimed is the beginning of the 17th chapter of Matthew. But what happened at the end of the previous chapter? It was the high point of Matthew's gospel. Well, Jesus said, who do you say that I am? And it was Simon, son of John, that said, you are the Christ. And what a loaded phrase that was and a great profession of faith from our first pope. And saying you are the Christ, Simon, son of John, was saying, Jesus, I believe you are the son of God. Jesus, I believe you are the Messiah. Jesus, I believe you are the fulfillment of all the prophets and the fulfillment of every human desire. His profession of faith was rewarded, just like Abraham's. Jesus gives him a new name, Peter the Rock, and says, 
build my church. Jesus gives our first pope the keys to the kingdom of heaven. But then he tells him and the other apostles, what is the destiny? He called them to join him on a journey. He never said where they were going. And now in Matthew 16, Jesus tells his apostles that he's going to be murdered. Right after that bad news, he tells them, if you want to continue to be my disciple, if you want to continue to follow me, deny yourself, take up your cross, and come with me to Calvary. It's in the midst of all this devastation, despair, doom, and gloom that Jesus climbs Mount Tabor with Peter, James, and John. They're shaken to the core. When they got out of that boat, they thought it was because Jesus was going to lead them to something better, something brighter that only happiness lay ahead of them in this life and in the next. They were expecting victory, but what Jesus describes for them now sounds like an epic failure and a crushing defeat. They're not so sure that they want to follow him wherever he leads them anymore. In the dark of night, while Peter, James, and John are asleep on top of Tabor, they're awakened by a blinding bright light. And it's not an early sunrise, nor does an eclipse of the sun. Instead, what they see on the top of the mountain is Jesus like they've never seen him before. For those who are sitting in the center of the church today, you can see it in the center stained glass window in the west wall, a stained glass depiction of the transfiguration of Jesus. He wasn't standing on the mountain. He was levitating several feet above it. His clothing was whiter than anything they'd ever seen and so bright they had to squint and cover their eyes to look at him. But there wasn't a spotlight shining down from heaven on Jesus. Jesus is like a divine human torch, a lighthouse for a people who live in darkness. These men who had just learned of Jesus' death were looking up and seeing a glimpse of the resurrection, a snapshot of the risen Christ. It was proof his story will not end in death and neither will those who believe in him. They weren't amazed or happy. They were terrified. And why is that? Not only because they'd never seen Jesus floating around before, but also because he wasn't alone. It was as if they were being visited by ghosts, because on Jesus' right we have Moses, and on his left we have Elijah. Moses there is holding the Ten Commandments to show that Jesus is the fulfillment to the law of the Hebrew Scriptures. Elijah is there to show that Jesus is the fulfillment of the prophecies that preceded his coming into the flesh. This bright light would be a source of encouragement for those same apostles in the dark days that were to come as Jesus' own prophecy about his own destiny was to be fulfilled on Calvary on the cross. It's always darkest just before the dawn and then a great light shines. St. Paul told Timothy in the second reading, we have to be willing to bear our share of hardships for the gospel. Jesus was asking the disciples, will you pay the price? He was willing to carry a heavy burden for our sins. He's asking us this Lent to deny ourselves and carry our crosses and join them with his on that lonesome road to Calvary that surely will lead all of us to victory.